0: Please turn your Bibles to 1 Samuel, 1 Samuel chapter 16, as we continue making our way in our series on 1 and 2 Samuel. As you turn there, just want to have a special invitation to those of you who are new uh, that today, as we mentioned earlier, there's going to be a a lunch for you after church. We'd love to have you come and be a part of that. Just give us a a few minutes. It's going to be in the gym. Give us a few minutes after service for the, the kids to be picked up and stuff, and then we'll be eating there uh, for our newcomer lunch. then, also, if you're new to the church, know that next week and the following week is our membership class, and we would love to have you be a part of that. Discovering Bethany, you can find out more information about that on our, our website or on the, the Church Center app. And then, also, as we think about the Church Center app, this is our, our third, or our second of three Sundays where we're doing a special focus on Church Center. It's a great resource for us in the church. Be sure to to look at that. Uh, we were kind of looking this this last week at people who maybe aren't on the directory yet, or or people who maybe don't have their picture up on the directory, and maybe you aren't quite sure how to do that. And you can stop off the table, and they'll help you know how to use some of those resources better. And we kind of, as we we're looking at the names, we kind of divided those up. And here are the names that I have of people to follow up with. No, I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> save some time here, but no, uh, be sure uh, be sure to check that out and uh, utilize that. It's a great, a great resource. And, and th- speaking of things you can do on the Church Center app, you can sign up for our herme- hermeneutics class, our Bible Study Methods class. Uh, That's going to be a, a class where we go through and, and talk about how to study the Bible. That is part of our Bethany Shepherd School, something we do in conjunction with Midwestern Seminary and Spurgeon College. You can come and uh, receive college credit for that class that can be used for seminary credit as well. So be sure to, to think about being a part of that. Uh, we desire to grow people in their ability to do ministry. We, uh, by God's grace and your investment in ministries here at the church, we, we have quite a few people who are serving in, in ministry in central Illinois, in the United States, and throughout the world. And we want to continue to, to train up people to be able to engage in ministry for God's glory. We're in First Samuel 16. Uh, the last few weeks we've been looking at the rejection of Saul, and now for the first time we're going to be introduced in, uh, to David, uh, who is uh, a king of the covenant, and we're going to continue to talk about him as we go through the rest of the book of First Samuel. But if you would stand with me, if you're able to this morning, as we read the first 13 verses of First Samuel chapter 16, as David is anointed king. Reading from the English Standard Version. We begin in verse 1. The Lord said to Samuel, How long will you grieve over Saul, since I have rejected him from being king over Israel? Fill your horn with oil and go. I will send you to Jesse the Bethlehemite, for I have provided for myself a king among his sons. And Samuel said, How can I go? If Saul hears it, he will kill me. The Lord said, Take a heifer with you and say, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord, and invite Jesse to the sacrifice, and I will show you what you shall do, and you shall anoint for me him whom I declare to you. Samuel did what the Lord commanded and came to Bethlehem. The elders of the city came to meet him trembling and said, Do you come peaceably? And he said, Peaceably. I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Consecrate yourselves and come with me to the sacrifice. And He consecrated Jesse and his sons and invited them to the sacrifice. When they came, he looked on Eliab and thought, Surely the Lord's anointed is before him. But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not look on his appearance or on the height of his stature, because I have rejected him. For the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. Till he comes here. And he sent and brought him in. Now he was ruddy and had beautiful eyes, and was handsome, and the Lord said, Arise, anoint him, for this is he. And then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brothers. And the Spirit of the Lord rushed upon David from that day forward, and Samuel rose up and went to Ramah. You may be seated. May God encourage us through the reading of his word this morning. Father, we thank you for our time of worship thus far. We pray that you would continue to to bless our time, help us to think about you, to think about your son Jesus, and as we look at at David, a a type, an example, figure of the anointed one, the Christ, Jesus, we pray that we glean important insights into who you are and your character. We pray this for your glory in the name of your son Jesus, amen. Well, this past week, as I was thinking about the heart and what God sees and what we can't see. I, I was thinking about things that we can and cannot see, and I was, I was on the NASA's Hubble site website, and there's an article on the electromagnetic spectrum, and, and this is what you read on that website. It says, the electromagnetic spectrum describes all the kinds of light, including those the human eye cannot see. In fact, most of the light in the universe is invisible to our eyes. There are radio waves, microwaves, infrared radiation, ultraviolet rays, X-rays, gamma rays, all of which are imperceptible to human eyes. So there's this electromagnetic spectrum, and there's just a very narrow part of that spectrum that you and I can see with our eyes, and yet we can see the effects of the different things on that spectrum, even though our, our eyes can't, can't see those, those waves. So, for example, radio waves. We, we can't see them, but, but this room is, is full of them. In fact, some of you are going to feel the effects of them during uh, the message this morning. You're going to get a text from someone that comes along from the, 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 the radio waves. Some of you are going to drift a little bit uh, this morning, perhaps. Uh, and, and maybe you're going to, I'm going to say something you're going to think about, oh, I wonder what that, and you're going to be on the, the, the radio waves getting data from your phone as you search the Internet, or maybe you're going to send a text uh, over a radio wave. Maybe you're going to send a text to me, which some of you sometimes do. Don't do that, uh, you know. <laughs> I don't recommend doing any of those things, of, of course, although I've been guilty of all of them at times. But we're going to see the effects, we're going to feel the effects of things we cannot see this morning. And there's something else, of course, in this room that none of us can see, and yet we can see the effects of what's there, and that, of course, is the human heart. We can't see what's inside the, the innermost part of who we are, who we are the most fundamental level, but we can see the effect. We can, we can see the, the effects of what's within our heart, and as we, we think about the human heart and how we can't see it, we realize how little we actually understand about ourselves and others. And because we can't see the heart, but we can see external things, our temptation is to judge ourselves and others by simply the things that we can see. That, that woman over there is, is super smart and very, very organized. She must be a good mom. Or, or that, that guy over there is, is, is a, a really great communicator, very successful at work, uh, very outgoing. He must be a great Bible teacher. We look at external things and we evaluate who we are. We do it with ourselves. I, I, I'm a healthy member of society. I, I pay my bills. People respect, respect me. I must be a pretty good person. But the problem is that God doesn't judge the way that we judge. That's the point of the text. That's what we're looking at this morning. And and here's the main idea. It's it's from verse 7. Here's the main idea that we're going to think about. This is how the Christian Standard Bible translates verse 7. Man does not see what the Lord sees, for man sees what is visible, but the Lord sees the heart. That's the main thing that I want us to be thinking about together this morning. Man does not see what the Lord sees, for man sees what is visible, but the Lord sees the heart. There are things that that God grasps about us that we cannot grasp ourselves. Now, this is an incredibly helpful truth for us to grasp because it tells us by God's grace, it reveals to us, here's the standard by which you are going to be judged. You are not going to be judged on the basis of the things you yourself have the ability to evaluate. You are going to be judged on the basis of what God alone has the ability to evaluate, what God alone has the ability to reveal to us. So what we're going to do in our our time together this morning is we're going to talk about what man sees, and then we're going to talk about what the Lord sees. So first of all, let's talk about what man sees, and let's see verses 1 through 6 and begin in verse 1 with me if you would. It says, the Lord said to Samuel, how long will you grieve over Saul since I have rejected him from being king over Israel? And so as we begin, remember we looked at chapters 13, 14, and 15, and we saw the way in which God had rejected Saul from being king. Uh, God saw something in in Saul's heart that was lacking, and so Saul is rejected from being king. Now we turn to David, and, and Samuel and God are at different places when it comes to Saul. God tells Samuel, "Hey, you're you're still grieving." Samuel is still grieving over God's rejection of Saul, and he's he's grieving the fact that Saul is not where he needs to be spiritually, and not where he needs to be for the purposes of leading God's people. He's not the anointed one that Samuel hoped that he would be. He's not the anointed one that the people of Israel need. And so Samuel's grieving, and then God offers a a gentle reproof to Samuel. Look, how, how long is this going to continue? I, I've rejected. Saul from being king. In other words, it's time to act. And the text tells us that God has a plan. He says, here's what I want you to do. Fill up your horn with oil and go and and anoint a new king. I'm going to send you Jesse, the Bethlehemite, for I have provided for myself a king among his sons. And so that shouldn't be a surprise to us. Chapter 13, we saw that God was going to seek out a a king after his own heart, chapter 15, we saw that, that God had uh, torn the kingdom of Israel away from Saul and given it to a neighbor who's better than you, Samuel tells Saul. It's also not a surprise to us that it's going to be from the tribe of Judah. That's not surprising at all. That's something that God has been prophesying would take place from Genesis, that there would be a, a king, that the anointed one would come from the tribe of Judah. So, none of that is surprising to us. But what I want you to notice here is the word provided there in verse 1 of the ESV. It says, I have provided for myself a king among his sons. Now, we don't talk about the the Hebrew behind the text a lot of times, but I want to just notice something here about that word provided. That that biblical word in the original language is the word ra'ah, Okay, raah. It means to, to see, and we're going to see the word raah. We're going to see the word see quite a few times here in this chapter. That's that's why I bring it to your attention. It comes from a root word that we're going to see multiple times here, and this is the, the first time that we see that word raah. I've I've seen. I've I've provided for myself a king among his sons, and Samuel has a very reasonable response. He says, uh, "Okay." Uh, minor problem with that God, uh, if, if I go and anoint a king, the, the problem is that Saul is going to kill me, and based upon what Saul does to David and Jonathan and the priests that he believes threaten him, that's not an unreasonable thing for Samuel to fear, You come on to the end of the chapter, and God gives a response. He says, No, no, go there for a sacrifice. Whenever people ask why you're there, say, Look, we're here. I'm here to offer a sacrifice. And that's what Samuel does. Samuel goes to the city of Bethlehem. The elders come out. It says the elders are trembling. Whenever Samuel comes, it could be some very bad news. Perhaps he's there as a prophet to deliver a word of judgment against them or against the people. They come out, they tremble. Hey, are you here peaceably? Good news, Samuel says, yes, I'm here peaceably. Let's have a sacrifice. And all the others okay. Sounds great to us. And Samuel says, be sure to invite Jesse and his sons. Consecrate yourselves. Prepare yourselves richly to be a part of the sacrifice. And I want to make sure Jesse and his sons are prepared to do so as well. And that brings us to verse 6. Jesse and his sons come. And we encounter in verse 6 the second use of that word. Ra'ah. Look at verse six. It says, they came, that's Jesse and his sons, and Samuel looked. He Ra'ad on Eliab. So this is the oldest son, and he thinks this. As he sees Eliab, he has this thought, surely, and that word means surely, the Lord's anointed is before him. This must be it. Now, on what basis so Here's Samuel, and here's Eliab. Eliab comes in, and, and on what basis did Samuel come to the conclusion that Eliab is the anointed one? Well, he had God's, some of God's revelation. He knew that it was going to be one of Jesse's sons, but all he has is just external appearances. The next verse tells us he was, he was tall, good-looking. That, that's all he has. Now, What's the point? Before we go on, the point I want us to grasp is that we look on the outward appearance. We may not do so consciously, but we do so consistently. We're constantly looking at external things. Now, in a moment, we're going to see that there are some external things that we can look at, and it can give us a glimpse into what's in the heart. That's certainly a biblical principle, but the problem is we can't grasp all of the external things that people around us do, and even as we evaluate the external things that can reveal some things in the heart, We're, we're constantly influenced by external things that don't really matter. We look at a person's ethnicity or their education or their gender or their wealth or, or whatever it is. It's different things for different people, but all these external things influence our perception of a person's actions. So we look at a person, we make some snap judgments, we see their actions, and we judge about who they really are. We, we walk into a woman's house, and her, her room that, that we walk into looks like it's a, a, a 3D Instagram post, and we think, man, this this woman must be a very godly person. Look how well her life is put together. We make these types of judgments all the time. I was reading about a study this past week. It was called The Impact of Color on Marketing. And this study showed that 90% of our snap judgments on whether or not to buy a product were based on its color, We make snap judgments based on external things all the time. Open up your phone and, and look at the different apps later and notice <laughs> notice how many, how many blue and white apps do you have. I'll sometimes open up my phone and, and I'll be looking for a blue and white app. And I'm like, now which one am I looking for again? And I'll press like three before I get to the right one. They're all the same color a lot of times. And you say, well, yeah, Daniel, I know some people struggle with that, but, but I don't, right? I, I know how to judge the character of a person. No, you don't, right? No, we don't. I certainly don't. I, I can think of example after example of someone that I had a, a very high opinion of and, 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 you know, very tragically, only later do I find out I, I was completely deceived in terms of, of who they really were. And I'm in, I'm in good company. That happened to the Apostle Paul, right? We see over and over again we're deceived. We're poor judges of character. That's what God's Word tells us. We judge on the outside appearances and we aren't able to, to get to the heart. It's only by God's grace and His special revelation are we able to overcome that. And that brings us to the second thing I want us to see this morning, and that's what God sees, what God sees. And let's look at verses seven and, and following. And, and really look here at verse seven with me if you would, and, and be sure to look at your text here. First Samuel chapter 16, verse 7. this is an incredibly important verse do you remember last week how I mentioned that first Samuel 15 verses 22 and 23 might be the most important verse of all first Samuel maybe even the Old Testament I was thinking that about that and then I read verse seven this week went, oh that's a pretty good verse too I don't know one person uh, writing on this verse said I would call this the key verse of first and second Samuel oh that's a good point this is they really go together you know last week first Samuel 15 verses 22 and 23 says look To obey is better than sacrifice, to listen than the fat of of rams, and and this goes right along with that. Verse verse 7, here's what we see about seeing, right? He says, do not look. Now, that's not the word ra'ah. That's a a different Hebrew word. It's nabet, but but it's the same family. It's this idea of beholding. He says, don't look on his appearance. Now, that is from the same root that we get the word ra'ah. It's, it's don't look on, it, on what he looks like or on the height of his stature because I've rejected him. And, and then it says, for the Lord sees not as man sees. And there's just one that we've translated using two English words sees there, but there's really just one ra'ah there in the original language. But that's time number three in the chapter we have get out of this word. So don't, uh, don't look on his appearance, his ra'ah, or in the height of his stature, as I rejected him. For the Lord Raaz, not as man sees. Man ra'ah on the outward appearance, but the Lord ra'ah on the heart. So it, it, there's, there's times four, five, and six in the chapter. So God isn't seeing what man sees. Man is seeing the outside, but the Lord looks on the heart. Now, what he's saying here is that God and man evaluate on two radically different planes. There's two radically different criteria that human beings and, and God are using to judge a person. Imagine you have two judges judging figure skaters, and one of the judges believes that speed is the most important quality that a figure skater can have, and the other judge believes that finesse is the most important quality of a figure skater, and the judges are there, and the first figure skater comes up, and, and this figure skater, she is fast but sloppy, right? goes through the whole routine. 30 seconds, is over. And the, the first judge, that's a 10. Second judge, that's a, that's a two. The next figure skater comes along. Super slow, right? But very precise. First judge, that's a one. Second judge, a 10, right? Two radically different standards by which you, you judge the same performance. What does that mean? It means as we stand before human beings and live our lives, there's one standard or multiple standards that the people are using, but God is using a much different standard. And by God's grace, He knows that we need to know by what standard we're going to be judged on. Now, verses 8 through 10 bear out what God has just said. At some point, apparently... Jesse realizes what's going on, and he calls his, his next son, and, and he goes before Samuel, and, and God says, Samuel says, neither has the Lord chosen this one. And then Jesse made shema. here's number three, and he says, nope, this isn't the guy either. And by the time it's all done, all seven of Jesse's sons have, have walked before Samuel, which has got to have been pretty awkward, right? You get to the end of that, and Samuel says, well, uh, yeah, is, is this it? <laughs> and Jesse says, well, we've, we've got another one. Samuel's confused. God, God had told him he would anoint from Jesse's sons. None of these seven are, are him. So is, is this everyone? Well, no, there's David. Now, David is so insignificant that he hasn't even thought to, to be mentioned. If you are going to search, first of all, if you are going to search all of Israel for the house from which the anointed one would, would come, Jesse's family might not have even made the, the top 100, right? Now, you're in Jesse's family, and David doesn't even make the top seven of eight in terms of consideration. That's how God judges, not by the standards we judged. You come into verse 12. And it says that the David is brought in. It says he sent and he brought him in. Now, he was ruddy. And you're like, what in the world does ruddy mean? Uh, it could mean like reddish or it could mean of, of, of a handsome appearance. It could mean maybe it's talking about his lighter hair color or perhaps it's talking about the glow of his skin. It says he had beautiful eyes and, and was handsome, right? So he was, he was uh, handsome and that's… Another use of the word ra'ah here in the text. It says that Samuel realizes, as God reveals it to him, "This, this is he. Arise, anoint him, for this is he. As God draws our appearance, as the narrator draws our attention to his appearance, we see that even though it isn't what God judges him by, David is handsome, which is very good news for some of us, right? That good looks don't disqualify us from ministry either. even though they're not high, God accepts us. <sighs> we come to verse 13. Samuel takes the horn of his oil, the horn of oil anoints him in the midst of his brother, and says, "The spirit of the Lord rushed upon David from that day forward." The Spirit is going to guide David throughout the rest of our narrative here in 1 Samuel and 2 Samuel and on into his kingship. The Spirit's work here in in David's life is is going to reveal that this is God's anointed. And In the book of Samuel, whenever it talks about the Spirit and, and, and the Spirit coming upon a person, it refers to God's work on his anointed ones for, for special tasks. And we're going to see as we go through the rest of 1 Samuel that David needs the Spirit's enabling work in his life. Now, I want you to look at verses 14 through 23. We're not going to deal with these verses this morning, but what I want you to notice just very quickly is that we see a contrast between the Spirit's work on David and the Spirit. The spiritual world in which Saul resides. It says the, the Spirit of the Lord has departed from Saul, so there's no longer this, this work of the Spirit in enabling Saul to, to do the things that God has called him to do. Now, this doesn't mean, when we say the Spirit of the Lord had helped Saul in the past, this doesn't mean that he was a believing saint. It doesn't mean that his heart had been transformed. It simply means that the Spirit was enabling him to do work. I, I don't believe that Saul was regenerate. I don't believe that he had a new life. But then as we go through the, the rest of these, these verses, 14 through 23, what we see is that David is called upon by Saul and his servants to care for Saul, that the Spirit is working through David to continue to minister to Saul. And by the way, we see the word ra'ah used again in, uh, in, 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 that, in that text, in, uh it says that the, the Lord uh, the spirit of the Lord has departed from Saul. Saul's servant said, this harmful spirit from the Lord is tormenting you. Uh, command your servants who are before you to, to seek out a man who's skillful in playing the lyre, And when the harmful spirit from the God is upon you, he'll play it. And so verse 17, Saul says, provide, and there's the word ra'ah again. And then in verse 18, one of the young men answers and said, I, I've seen, i ra'ah, a son of Jesse. And so just as God is w- looking for provision Using that word ra'ah, verse 1, Saul is doing so as well in verse 17. Now, what's the point of chapter 16? It is that God sees what we do not. God sees the heart. Now, what's the application? What does this mean for those of us who are new covenant believers? Let me walk through a couple of heart principles for the new covenant believer here. Number one, number one, God alone can truly see our hearts. God alone can truly see our hearts. We cannot see what God can see. Seeing the heart is the exclusive purview of the Lord alone. It is incredibly foolish to believe that we know ourselves or others. Jeremiah 17:9. the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? As David tells his son Solomon in 1 Chronicles chapter 28, verse 9, he says, the Lord searches all hearts and understands every plan and thought. O- only the Lord can do that. In fact, earlier in the verse it says, uh, he tells his son, serve God with a whole heart and with a willing man, uh, mind for the Lord searches all hearts and understands every plan and thought. And most of us don't think of ourselves as particularly wicked. The most Wicked people often don't think of themselves as wicked. The greedy person doesn't say, look, I just want more than I need. That's not what the greedy person says. The greedy person says, I'm I'm just fiscally responsible. The the sexually immoral person doesn't say, look, I I just want to worship myself with my sexuality. The sexually immoral person says, look, I just want to be authentic to who I am. The, the coward, the spiritual coward, doesn't say, look, I'm ashamed of God and fearful of the consequences. The spiritual coward says, look, uh, I, I just want just to live at peace. Now, apart from God revealing to us how we are sinful, we're not going to recognize our own sin. God alone can truly see our hearts. It's a, a purview of him alone. Now, that brings us to the second point I want us to think about. God judges based upon who we truly are in our hearts. Now, some people would say, look, I just want to be judged fairly. I just want to be judged for who, I want someone to really understand me and judge me on the basis of who I am. No, you don't, right? No, we don't. One of the hardest parts of any job is is figuring out what the person who's supervising you wants to see in your work, right? That's one of the hardest parts of any job, just how am I going to be evaluated? I don't, I don't mean to complain, but I have a lot of supervisors every Sunday morning. And, and how I'm evaluated changes based upon whom I'm talking to, right? I get a lot of feedback, very, very, very sweet feedback, right? But different people have different needs from a sermon, right? Hey, Daniel, I think you should use less theological terms. Daniel, I could really use some more theological terms. Daniel, stay away from biblical Hebrew words like ra'ah. Daniel, I really loved ra'ah. That was really meaningful for, for me this morning. Hey, Daniel, uh, you could really go shorter. Uh, my mom said I could go longer, but that's about… That's consistent, I guess, you know. But even though there's different… Preface, and all the, you know, those are valid things to say, right? more stories, less stories. All, those are, and based upon what, you know, there's several hundred needs in here, and so that's okay that people have different preferences for what would happen, but I'm evaluated a lot of different ways. But but uh, among God's people, you're very gracious, and all of you would say, okay, my, my most important criteria is, is this God's word on a Sunday morning, right? And that's how you're going to evaluate my, my teaching. Now, and you're willing to endure mispronounced words and all that sort of things to, to get that. But I'm judged by something even more important. God's going to judge my preaching by something even deeper. Here's what Paul says in First Thessalonians 2. Paul says, But just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak not to please man, but to please God who tests our hearts. So, in other words, as as I preach on a Sunday morning, I am being evaluated by God not just by the content of what I'm saying, but the, the content of my heart as I say it. Am I being hypocritical in my heart? Am I full of bitterness? When I speak, because I I think about something that's happening in the week. Have I been lazy in my study during the week? Was I harsh with my my Was my were my words harsh, or even was I harsh in my heart as I said some of the applications of God's word? God's judgment is going to be with absolute perfection, and that's on one hand terrifying for me, right? And that's just for me. The same is true for you, and wherever you find yourself, God is going to look at your heart and say, okay, not just what did you do, but what was coming out of your your heart as you did it. God is going to judge more deeply than any of us are able to go, and many of us think, I just want to be judged on who I really am. We're excited about it, but for those who are looking forward to being judged on the basis of their works, know that a terrible future awaits you. If you are hoping that God judges you ultimately on your own righteousness, the truth is that an eternity in hell awaits some in this room as they will be judged on the basis of their works in terms of justification. You say, well, Daniel, help me grasp. (laughs) Help me grasp this. Help me understand how is God going to to look in my heart? What What is he looking for? What do I need to see there? There's a lawyer, right, who asked Jesus in Matthew 22, what's the greatest commandment of the law? And Jesus says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the greatest and first commandment, and the second is like it. You shall love your neighbors yourself. So those are the, it's kind of a summary of the Ten Commandments, right? The first table, here's loving God. second table, here's how you love others. We see a, a, something like that in the story we referenced last Week. The story of the rich young ruler appears in Matthew and Mark and Luke. And In Luke, the, the ruler asks Jesus, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus says, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not commit adultery. Do not murder. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Honor your father and mother. And, and the, the rich young ruler says, yeah, that's good news. I've kept all of those things from my youth. That is really good news, Jesus. Thank you. And Jesus, uh, uh, one thing. One thing. Sell all that you have, distribute to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Come, follow me. And the rich young ruler goes, the. What is that? What is Jesus asking him to do? It's the first commandment. No other gods before me. He just starts with commandment number one. And the rich young ruler goes, oh, pass. So let's take a quiz this morning. You ready? <laughs> Here's Will, this is from Will Metzger's Tell the Truth. And this is just the Ten Commandments. You say, well, look, you know what? I think I can keep 80%. I think I can go ahead, Daniel, eight for ten. Let's, let's think if I said just the last week. How many do you think you could do? Well, I didn't steal anything else. Let's let's find out, right? Here's here's this is from again. Will Will Meskers tell the truth? And here's these are based on the Ten Commandments. We just ask some questions. Here's the you know the first commandment: No other God before me. Here's yes or no. I've never put anything else before God in my life. I've always given God first place in my thinking, affections, and actions. Yes or no? The second commandment: No idols. Yes or no? I, I've never Had any wrong conceptions about God? I have not worshipped Him in a way not recommended by Him. I've always rejected any wrong imaginations or images of God that I've seen or thought and refused to make God according to my liking. Can you even say that's true for you over the last week? This morning. Yes or no, I've never slighted or abused the character of God by using his holy name as a swear word or by using it in a thoughtless manner such as calling myself a follower of God yet not obeying. I've always held the name of God which signifies his character in highest respect, invoking it with thoughtfulness and reverence. Yes or no? You can disagree with some of the applications here in this fourth one, the Sabbath, but I've yes or no, I've never done less than a full week's work. Never done any of my normal work on the day set aside to worship God. I've always worked hard and willingly at whatever task is set before me, seeing it as a God-given service each day. And consistently remember to set apart one day weekly to worship God with others. We're, to co- we're told to honor our parents. I've never disobeyed nor dishonored my parents or any others in authority over me. I've always respected and been thankful for my parents and given them the honor and willing obedience as well as other authorities over me yes or no i've i've never murdered anyone nor had hateful thoughts or taken the slightest pleasure in seeing harm done to another human being i've always thought more of others than i have of myself and practiced the highest regard for human life and justice Don't commit adultery, yes or no. I've never practiced any sexual impurity, either physically engaging in sex in a way contrary to what God's Word says or mentally having impure thoughts about someone. I've always treated others' sexuality with respect and dignity in both my physical actions and mental attitudes. Well, I haven't stolen, right? Yes or no. I've never taken anything that doesn't belong to me nor been deceitful in any attitudes or unwilling to work for my needs. I've always respected the belongings, rights, and creations of others and been completely truthful and fair. I've never lied nor slandered another person or group of people. I've, I've always told the truth in every situation regarding every person I've known. Finally, we're not to covet, right? I've never been greedy for something that wasn't mine nor jealous even of the abilities, looks, or status of others. I've always shared and given my possessions and myself to others. And I've been thankful in my heart for what they have and content with my possessions and situations. Well, maybe you're doing pretty well in those. Maybe not. But what we see, God judges based upon who we truly are. And who we truly are in our hearts is desperately wicked. Which brings us to the third heart principle, number three. In His grace, God grants us a new heart through the work of the Holy Spirit. Now, in the old covenant, believers were saved by God's grace as the Holy Spirit brought new life. And the same is true today. And perhaps this morning, God in His grace is convicting you of your sin this morning. We just read the Ten Commandments. And, and maybe if I were to ask you before this morning, I would say, Hey, on what basis do you think that you're going to get to heaven? And what would you say if you were to appear before a holy God and you said, Why shall you enter heaven? Maybe before this morning, you would have said, Look, God, I've tried to obey the Ten Commandments, probably like 70, 80%. And now this morning, as we kind of see what is really involved in heart obedience, we say, Okay, I don't have that. And maybe God in His grace to you this morning friend is saying look you you need me. We think about the gospel, God, who is God, he is the creator God who is perfectly holy. What, what's wrong with his creation? Well, it's 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 us. It's human beings. We are desperately wicked and in need of salvation. Jesus is fully God, fully man who lived the perfect life and died on the cross in our place to take the punishment of sin for us. So that as we place our faith in Jesus Christ, he takes upon himself our sin and we receive his righteousness through faith. And maybe God in his grace is calling you to respond to that message this morning by placing your faith in Jesus Christ alone, crying out to God for salvation, believing in Jesus for his perfect provision, receiving a new heart, through the work of the Holy Spirit. Now, there's a tension. There's a tension. You say, okay, Daniel, I've done that. I've received a new heart. But as you're reading through the Ten Commandments, uh, the person next to me was nudging me. They're writing notes. Remember when you stole Netflix? (laughs) No, no. What would I do with that tension? I'm still living, I'm still not living with with a perfect heart. What would I do there? Here's the beauty of the Christian life The, the, the beauty of the Christian life is that here's the fourth thing I want us to think about. Number four God calls us to put off the flesh and to put on Christ through the work of the indwelling spirit. You see, now in the old covenant, the the Old Testament saints were regenerated. They were given new life. But in the new covenant, not only is the Holy Spirit with us, he indwells us. You see, you say, well, I have a new heart, so does any of this matter? Am I just good to go? No, God calls us to still examine our hearts. He says in Ephesians 4, he says, Put off the old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and be renewed in the spirit of your minds. Put on the new self, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. So, for the believer, we are in a state where, by God's grace, we have a new heart. We are still in the flesh. And the temptation until we are resurrected, the temptation is going to be to continue to live according to the old flesh. And so the challenge for us as believers is to strive through God's enabling work, the work of the Spirit, to live as who we are in Christ. That's the heart principle. To be made aware of who we are as the Spirit reveals our sin to us, and to ask God continually, provide me with this clean heart through your grace. Brings us to the fifth principle that I want to sing about this morning. Number five, God reveals our hearts to us partly through our actions. The Spirit reveals who we are, you know, the Spirit dwells within us. And I think as we read God's Word, the Spirit reveals things to us. But we also see in, in Scripture that we can look at actions, and by God's grace, if we're very careful, studying our, ourselves against the standard of His Word, that the Spirit can instruct us as we look at our actions. Mark chapter 7 says, From within, the, within, for from within out of the heart of man come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, mo- murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, Envy, slander, pride, foolishness, all these evil things come from within, and they defile a person. So even though we can't look perfectly within our hearts, by God's grace, we can say, okay, God, please help me honestly assess my life, and don't let me look at how, how, how great my, my lawn is or how, how, uh, you know, some ex- you know, how good of a dresser I am or something external, but Lord, help me really honestly evaluate. When I, when I do these things, what's, what's, what's really coming out of my heart? Is this pride? Am I doing these good things because I want others to look, look at me and, and think good thoughts about me? Am I hiding who I truly am from other people? Lord, reveal who I am by your grace. Man does not see what the Lord sees, for man sees what is visible, but the Lord sees the heart. It is both a terrible and a, a beautiful truth. Right. At first, there's terror in it. We gain glimpses into our heart. We we look at the Ten Commandments, and we we see what God commanded the Israelites and the the application to us, and and there's a terrible weight. How in the world could I ever be judged on the basis of these things? But the same God who can see into our hearts and see our wickedness loves us and demonstrated that love by, while knowing everything about us, sending his son Jesus to die on the cross for us so that he could make us alive and forgive. David is not a perfect king, but he's a type, he's a pattern. He points people to the king, the anointed one, the Messiah. And the, the Messiah, the king, is one whose outward appearance is not one to be judged as anything spectacular. Isaiah 53, he grew up before him like a young plant and like a root out of dry ground. He had no former majesty. He had no former majesty that we should look at him and no beauty that we should desire him. You see the Messiah, you see the anointed one, and there's nothing majestic in his external appearance. But who is he? He's the king above all kings. He's the most majestic human being who ever walked the face of the earth. And in His grace and in His kindness and in His love, He offers us, who are wicked, the opportunity to be united with Him and then to continue to walk in obedience by faith. Let's pray. Father, we thank You for Your Word this morning. We thank You for how in Your grace You reveal our hearts to us. And, and Lord, we pray for conviction this morning. We pray that Your Spirit who indwells us, if we're believers, would would be bringing sin to our mind even now, just an awareness of the, the, the wretchedness and the, and the ugliness of these, these things we've been allowing safe harbor in our hearts. Expose them, remove them, allow us to experience the joy of true repentance. We pray that in your kindness you would continue to help us to walk and obedience to you. And if there are those this morning who have not placed their faith in your son Jesus, who have not received new life through the work of your spirit, we pray that you would renew them, regenerate them even now, and allow them to respond to the gospel with faith, believing in the Lord Jesus Christ and being saved. We pray this in his name. Amen.